Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, hello and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management. Uh, got a lot to talk about today. We're going to talk about investing, volatility, uh, the PCE, which is the personal consumption expenditures, which the Fed uses to look at what they're going to do with interest rates, uh, their gauge of inflation. Talk about uh, the talk of recession. We won't say the recession because we're not in a recession. Uh, also talk about house, household net worth, gas tax, many different things to talk about here today. Uh, and with me is uh, Chase. And we were gone last week uh, for the Air Force uh, Navy game. Yeah, so it's good to be back. And uh, yeah, I was back for one show and then had two <laughs> weeks off because it was Harrison's wedding. So yeah, it's uh, now I'm back though. I'm, I'm in the rhythm of things. I'm going to be back for a while. So um, excited. Yes. But as always, it is a call and show. So you want to join in. The phone number here is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. See, and you forgot you usually tell how we're going to go over the fundamentals of the companies, don't you? No, no? not really. Not really? No? Yeah, I mean. Well, we're both out of whack here because uh, you were gone. Uh, and our, our rhythm is all, all, all out to out to whack I think here, you I forgot what I said. I did forget what you That's said. That's okay. That's why you say what you say. I don't say what you say. So, I... <laughs> Well, let's get into it. Let's get into it. Let, let's, let's talk about, before we get into trouble here, let's talk about the investment, uh, investing volatility because, wow, there's a lot of it. A recent client survey by Charles Schwab produced some uh, viable insights during difficult times like this. Over the longer term, 33% of investors attributed their greatest investing success to patience throughout volatility. I, I think I'm going to repeat that line because that's so important. Over the, the longer term, 33% of investors attributed their greatest investing success to patience through volatility. It is hard to, to be patient during the ups and downs, but the reality is when holding good quality investments, it has proven to always be the right thing to do. Unfortunately, patience doesn't mean two to three months, and sometimes it may mean two to three years. The funny thing is, is that even though that patience has always paid off, our emotions lead us to want to sell at the worst times, and many people end up doing so, costing themselves drastically in the long term. Now, the second most cited reason for clients' greatest investing success was careful research, which came from 16% of respondents. We always tell people that before we step in and buy a company, it's at least 10 to 15 hours of research. Now, this doesn't mean you won't have volatility. It doesn't mean it's going to go up right away, but it does give you more comfort in knowing and understanding your investments during the difficult times, which allows you to be patient. Now, the biggest culprit for an investor's worst investment was lack of research, with 20% saying this was the cause. Now, this doesn't surprise me as many people are quick to jump into the hype or invest in something because a friend or family member thought it was a good idea, or maybe perhaps because they made money on it in the past. Now, unfortunately, like the survey shows, we have seen this work out poorly for many investors. 
And then another big culprit for the worst investment was high risk, with 13% of respondents citing this reason. Now, in today's society, people always want to try and make a quick return, but unfortunately, that is not how investing works. People want to try and get big returns, and they end up losing massively. We tell our clients a reasonable target should be around 8 to 12%. In the longer term, doesn't mean every single year, and anything in excess of this, and you are likely taking big risks that could put your portfolio in jeopardy. Here, oh, I want to make 30% per year. Yeah. That's not going to happen. <laughs> and you know, and I went to the dentist uh, last week, and when the uh, hygienist, I, I believe she's a hygienist or office worker, she goes, I know you, what you're doing. She goes, I'm, I'm just not making much money. You know, I invested a couple of thousand dollars, and, and it, it, I only made like $100. And I'm not just making much money. It's like that's the problem that they think, you know, whether it's 2000 or 200000 people think they'll make a lot of money up front. And, and you can. There's, there's been times that we've had years, uh, you, you know, we made 20, 30, 50, uh, you know, sometimes even 100% on a portfolio. But that is the, the, the extreme. That does not happen. That's why we tell people, yeah, we average about 10% per year. And if you take 10% of $2,000, you're talking 200 or about, what, uh, $17 a month. It, no, it's not going to look like it's growing fast. But people have these high expectations. And the other one that I love is like, and I've been doing this for well over 40 years now. Well, my brother-in-law says that this is a great stock. And well, what's the research he did? Well, I don't know. He just said it's going gonna, it's gonna to go up. And he, he guarantees it's going to go up. I go, really? <laughs> or it's not that, again, he thinks it's, it's because it's gone like, oh, well, my brother-in-law did really well on NVIDIA. So yep. now he thinks NVIDIA is going to keep going up. And people have that that recency bias, so to speak, where they say, well, it went up 100% last year, so it's probably going to go up 100% again. And, and yep. that's just not going to happen. And, and one thing, too, that uh, kind of relates to this survey was there was actually another survey from the Fed. And this is, I think, good and bad. Right. Now, direct ownership of stocks increased from 2019 to 2022 from 15% to 21% of families. So more people are buying into the, the stock market, essentially. But I think a lot of that has come from, well, 2019, even 2020 after COVID, 2021, those were all very good years, years. investing. Yep. And I think people kind of now have seen how successful you can be. But now 2022, 2023, they've been difficult years. And people need to realize that, yes, it's been difficult, but this happens over history. It's not going to be up 25% every right. single year. You're going to have down periods. And sometimes, yes, it takes, again, as we said, two to three years. And maybe, again, this year is closer to a flat year. But then maybe next year you're up, you know, over 20%, maybe 2025, right. you're up another 15%. It's not going to be a straight line, and you have to be patient during these difficult times. And, you know, whether you're in the S&P 500, whether in your value stocks, whether in growth stocks, all of those different investments, they do have that volatility, and they don't all move the same, which we tell people. And, and you know, and we tell people this is part of our newsletter. You can get the newsletter. I would highly encourage every single person – to get the newsletter, cut this part out and put it on your wall if you're an investor because investing is not easy. We always say it's simple, but it's not easy because of the fact that it is very hard when you go through these difficult times and you get all the surrounding noise like, yeah, see, you should have bought NVIDIA. Oh, you know, you burn the law of story. So many different things get you off track. And we talk about the best thing to do is, is invest in good quality businesses that, yeah, they're going to have their problems, but they will weather the storm. And over the longer term, you'll average somewhere around 10% by investing properly in good quality businesses and not getting so excited about, well, it's been six months, you know, I'm not making money, so I'm going to do this. Been even a year, been a year, ah, not made any money, I'm down, down 10%, I'm going to sell out and do something else. This is why the average investor over time, 
the return is still about 3% as for the average investor. And it's just, it's so hard because you have so much noise coming in to get you off track. And uh, the, the people I've seen do the best are the ones, well, we've had clients for now 20, 30, 40 years. They've done very well over the longer term, but they've had periods. And not that, panicking not during panicking. the difficult times. And, yeah. and as I said, I mean, there's times where, you know, to be very honest with people, our portfolio will underperform at times. It's yeah. the reality of it. We know what's going to happen. Guess what? We don't have the Magnificent Seven in the portfolio. So I'll tell people a little secret. We haven't done as well as the market right. this year because we don't have those companies. But we have a strong belief going forward that the Magnificent Seven is just so expensive that everything else in the market is really underpriced, not everything else. A lot right. of things in the market are underpriced, and that should catch back up, which we think over the next, get this, two to three years, <laughs> bodes well for our portfolio. Yeah, and if somebody comes to us and say, well, uh, I'm going to need the money in two years, we won't invest it for you. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, we tell you, you have to invest with us at least for two to three years, and that's at least. I mean, it should be more like five to seven, but we try to, depending on what their situation is, and try to help people through this, um, but yeah, if somebody says, well, I'm going to need this money a year or two, like, no, uh, do a CD, do something else, don't invest it. And, and the big thing too, that I, I really want to emphasize that gets us through this is, you know, you got an email yesterday that, that said, um, are you worried about the, the stock market now? Right. And the big thing, no, we're, we're not worried. And I'm, I'm a little bit worried about some of the stocks in the stock market. Of course, they're right. expensive. But, you know, we've started to get some of our earnings reports trickle through for our companies. And, I mean, gosh, we listen to them and, and we look. And very importantly, again, we know our businesses. And I think we're in a great, great spot with our companies. They're doing all the right things. And sometimes when you do all the right things, that doesn't mean that you're not in a difficult period. Right. Right. It's how do you weather that difficult period and come out of it on the other side. And I continue to believe the companies in our portfolio are doing those right things that are setting us up for success. doesn't mean the stock can't go down 10 15%, but it does mean that two, three years down the road again, yeah. we should be doing quite well. And, and I've been uh, doing this now for uh, over 40 years, and I've gone through about 23 corrections, which is a drop of 10% or more. And I, I, for the longest time, in my bottom left-hand drawer of my desk, I have a folder titled Good Reading for Bad Times. This, this part right here, investing volatility that we wrote on, I'm going to cut this out, put it in that file because it just keeps you, you know, informed during the difficult times because they are going to come. And maybe it's better on Monday. Maybe it's next week. Maybe it's next month. We don't know. But we know we've got the quality businesses that will weather the storm. And what's the thing we always say? Like people say... Well, it's different this time. Yep. And what are you always saying? Well, it's different, but it's always the same. Yep, exactly. So, And I, I did want to add just one other thing sure. to this. I know we kind of spent a little bit of time on this, but I think it is very important is people need to understand how returns work as well. Because if you have a down period, it really hurts, again, what your numbers look like. So let's just say in 2019, 2020, you had two up years, right? Well, now all of a sudden it's, you know, three four years later, potentially, it's mm -hmm. like, I've barely made any money. Well, it's because you're looking at after a down period. If you look at the troughs, your returns look terrible. But all of a sudden, again, you have a 25% return. Wow, now my returns are great over the longer term. Right. If you look at it during down periods, it's not what I'm going to call a good measure for how the performance has been. And the other thing, too, I mean, numbers are very tricky because you have $100,000, you have a 10% you know, move either way, that's $10,000. But over a couple of years, 
that uh, money now say, well, say you had great years and now $200,000. You now have a 10% decline. That's not 10,000. That's now 20,000. Oh my gosh, I lost $20,000. Yeah, but you made 100,000 and the percentages are based on the dollar amount. So the bigger losses will come because the account is bigger. So you can't compare it you know, that and way. the bigger gains will yeah, come exactly. because the account's bigger. By, by being patient. So, I mean, this was a great one. And, and I'm I'm seriously telling people, you want to sign up for the newsletter just for this right here because there's so much great information. You know, I said a couple things twice. Uh, it just really will help you understand investing because it is not simple. It's so hard emotionally. It is counterintuitive to what you think because when you feel bad, you sell and when you feel good, you buy. And that means you're buying high and selling low. Uh, this will get you on track there. So Absolutely. I, we spent a lot of time on that, probably more than anything we ever done before. But I think it was very important. So let's move on and talk about uh, the research because that is very important. We're talking about the PCE because the PCE is the uh, personal consumption expenditures. Uh, there wasn't much in that report, uh, the price index uh, this time, which is the Fed's preferred measure for inflation. The headline number was up 3.4% which is the same as last month. The core PCE, which excludes food and energy, was up 3.7 and was one-tenth lower than the reading in August. Core PCE hit a peak around 5.6% in early 2022. Another thing, too, about core PCE was it was actually the lowest reading since June 2021. So, again, it, it's not falling as quickly as it was, but we still are pushing lower, which I think is is very, very important. Now, a thing I want to point out here is with the aggressive increase in short-term rates, the recent increase in the 10-year Treasury, a lot of Fed members have talked about how the longer end of the curve has kind of done more of their work for them, essentially, so they shouldn't have to increase rates. Hope that's the, the continued case. And then also, too, you got to remember the resumption of the student loan payments. Well, those are likely slowing the economy somewhat. And I still just believe that the Fed should allow these hikes to sink in and evaluate where we stand in the coming months. Just because a big thing I pointed out, and we talked about this in a newsletter last week, was the amount of excess savings is still quite high compared to where it was. And the reason this is so important is because if people have cash, well, the interest rates aren't necessarily impacting them because oh, I'm still going to go buy buy that new car because I have $50,000 in cash. I don't care that it's a 7% interest rate. I have the cash to buy it. So why does the interest rate impact me? Right, right. Once that cash dries up, all of a sudden the borrowing <clears throat> rates really have a larger impact. And I hope that the Fed's considering that because we haven't really gotten, I'm going to call it, a true test of the higher rates yet because of all the excess cash. Right. And it's had an impact on some people, but not all people just yet. And, you know, it's funny. This past week, I, I was looking at maybe taking somebody out of my house by, uh, by an equity line. So I called Rocket Mortgage, who is an associate with Charles Schwab. And uh, the guy goes, well, he goes, we'll have somebody call you back probably tomorrow. He goes, we're really busy. I go, really busy? I, I, I go, I thought with these higher rates, I, I've heard that you guys aren't, you know, refinancing. He goes, no. People are refinancing a lot because we are very busy because people do have that low mortgage, but they still want the money out, <clears throat> and they're willing to pay 8 9% to do what they want to do. So um, it, it is still still there. You know, uh, I'm going to poo-poo that just a little sure. bit. I do wonder. I know that a lot of mortgage companies have laid off a lot of people because the volume hasn't been as high. So I wonder if they're right. really busy because there's less people. Less people. <laughs> so I, from a true volume standpoint, I mean, we know refinancing, we know that mortgage loans for new homes is, is down dramatically. Yeah. So I do wonder <clears throat> if that's a, a labor issue as well. 
Yeah, yeah, because mortgage rates have passed eight uh, percent. Yeah, yeah. So it it, it is, but it, we, we're still seeing people buying homes. It is slowing down. And what I do want to mention before we go on to the next uh, topic here was about uh, the yield curve because we went to an inverted yield curve, which means short term rates were higher than long term rates. We're now I'm going to say about a flat yield curve, pretty pretty close. That's close, pretty close. Uh, what people don't realize is that I believe we're getting back to a normal yield curve, which means you will get paid more for or pay more for the longer maturity. So you'll have maybe the 10-year the, uh, uh, at 5%, 30-year uh, maybe at 6%. But what that does to the short-term rates, they'll drop down probably to about 3 That's a normal yield curve to where you're going to pay less or get paid less for the shorter maturities. What people are not thinking about, well, well, I'm just going to get that short-term CD for a year, and I'm going to do great. They're not thinking ahead for long-term money because a year from now, that 5% CD may only be 3%. So yeah. you've got to think. I, I believe <clears throat> we're going back to a normal yield curve. I, I do think it is going to be hard on the normal yield curve because <clears throat> where I believe that comes through is with the Fed cutting interest rates because they have that kind of power over the short-term rate with the Fed's fund rate. And we know that they've talked about being quite steadfast on holding that rate steady. So I do worry we – not worry. It, it, I don't think it's going to be problematic because we're there. I think we're going to have a flat yield curve right. kind of throughout the next year. And ideally, I think inflation, again, is slowing. So the Fed could potentially cut rates – not the beginning of next year, near the end of next year. And I think that's where we will see a normalization in the yield curve because those short-term rates right. should start to come down. And, and I agree with that. I didn't give any time frame. But that's why I'm looking at the yeah. second half of next year, which is just when these one-year CDs will be coming Come new. Through. And like, surprise, surprise, you're not going to get 5%. You won't get 5% in that one-year T-bill. You'll get somewhere around 3 maybe 3 and a half, um, because the Fed will stop raising rates and perhaps even start in the second half of next year, even maybe the last quarter. Yeah. Um, it still doesn't matter. It's going to hurt you when that short-term maturity comes due. So I'm telling you, for your long-term investors, you're not going to get excited and sell out and buy say, well, I can get a 5% CD, so I'm just going to invest in that. You're going to be disappointed. That's why you won't have a good long-term return. Yeah, and, and one thing I did want to say, too, on the inflation front is we also got – we're going to talk about the GDP report coming up here. But the nice thing that the GDP report also does, it talks about inflation. And the thing people need to understand about the GDP report is it's based off an annualized basis. So it doesn't compare necessarily period versus the last year period. It's right. based off an annualized growth rate. But they also look at inflation. And they pointed out inflation in Q3 at an annualized rate was 2.9%. So what we're seeing is that, yes, compared to last year, inflation is still, I'm going to say, high 3%. Right. But if you're starting to look at an annualized growth rate, it is sub 3%, which I believe what that points to is next year we should see inflation with a two-handle on it. Right. As long as everything kind of stays steady, barring and, and, any supply shocks, barring anything crazy in right. Israel with the Hamas situation. Right. And actually, the people would be very surprised the Fed increased rates right now in uh, November or December that's not on the, the table that, oh, yeah, they're definitely going to do it. So that, that will change. So, uh, well, let's talk about, uh, because people you hear about, oh, we're going to recession and so forth. Well, it's interesting to see uh, how many people believed we were going to see a recession in 2023, but yet the numbers keep proving the daughter's wrong. Uh, the GDP report uh, showed annualized growth of 4.9%, which topped the estimate of very high estimate of 47 uh, It is important to point out that this report does account for inflation. 
The primary driver of growth here was consumer as spending increased 4% in the quarter and accounted for 2.7 percentage points of the total GDP increase. Now, both goods and services saw nice increases as spending grew 4.8% and 3.6% respectively. And I I talked about this a lot several months ago, was that we had seen good spending so depressed with like electronics and furniture that that would start to stabilize. And we should just see somewhat of a natural return to growth in that. I I was honestly quite surprised it was 4.8%. That's a lot higher than I was anticipating for goods. But I, I still think that good spending was so depressed and it should have bottomed that we should still see goods continue to hold up. Another area, too, was gross private domestic investment. That also saw a major increase of 8.4% and accounted for 1.5 percentage points of the total GDP increase. Now, within this category, the change in private inventories was the major contributor as it accounted for 1.3 percentage points of the headline number. Another area, government spending and investment also grew 4.6% and accounted for 0.8 percentage points of the headline number. The only detractor in the report was trade as the net exports of goods and services took away, get this, (laughs) 0.08 percentage points. So not a major impact on the the overall report there. Now, while I believe this will likely be the highest GDP report we see for some time, I do believe that we can still avoid a recession as the consumer remains in a good spot. And, you know, and we, we point out things we talked about here that we, we project and we try to help people understand what we're talking about going forward with the data. And, and one thing I'm bringing up here is how the uh, change in private inventories was a major contributor as accounted for 1.3 percentage points of the headline number. We talked about last quarter how low inventories were saying they're going to have to rebuild those. So this is why when we do the news and we do the radio show, is trying to inform you of why we're doing things. And it doesn't mean on Monday the market's going to go crazy. It means that the economy is not doing as bad as, as people think they are. I mean, there's so many people. I just talked to a guy. He's an attorney, smart guy. Oh, yeah, we're going to recession. It's like, I, I don't want to argue. It's like, no, you, you don't know what you're talking about. Because we're not going to recession. I mean, you see the numbers that come out, uh, the spending. And, yes, the you just look at, oh, my gosh, rates, mortgage rates, 8%. Yeah, it, it is frightening. But the consumer is still spending. Um, I saw another report, and we put all this in our, n- our newsletter, another report that those numbers on uh, how much the uh, excess savings is is actually higher than has been being pointed out. I think it was the Federal Reserve came out with that number. Yeah, and and, and the thing that I look at, too, is you have to understand the numbers. And, and I, I still think we may hit a technical recession. Possible, obviously. Well, well we, we did. Remember, we had two consecutive quarters. Of and I think GDP. that might happen again, but it, yeah. it's just because you have to look at the numbers. And I think it was Q1, maybe it was Q2. People were saying, oh, the, re- the GDP report's not that great. But it was, again, because government spending and yep. the business part wasn't as strong. Well, you know, if the consumer slows down, which it's possible because there are some benefits like Taylor Swift's Eros tour, like <laughs> uh, that actually had a big impact <laughs> on travel and, and spending for right. people. Now, it didn't account for obviously the, the whole portion of GDP, but <laughs> it did help out. So, but we don't have maybe something like that next year. But I, you know, it's funny, I, I'm kind of talking through some things here is, you know, uh, since we advertise with the Padres there, we're the proud investing partner is we, we kind of get an access of, of what concerts are coming out next year. Right. And I'm like, Jesus, there's Blink-182, which is quite big for a, a lot of different people. Uh, I saw there's a, a few other ones that were coming out. I'm like, there are still a lot of entertainers that are traveling, and I've got to assume that people are still going to want to go see those shows next year. Yeah, I think it's a younger crowd. I went, I went to see Pink. I don't, I'm not going to go to a concert again. I just didn't, you know, we had great seats and everything, but like, eh, it's just, 
I got kind of bored after about an hour or two. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, but yeah. I mean, it, but, but other people the demand's will. there, right? Yeah, the, the demand, demand is there, there. and that, that that is important. So I, I think the consumer will still be not as strong, but strong enough next year. And I do want to remind people: good things going on going forward. We now have uh, tentative agreements with the auto workers and and the the car makers. I think Stellantis is. Because uh, the last thing I saw in GM was it looked like they had a tentative agreement, but I haven't gotten any validation on okay, that. That so was kind of through last night. So um, I, I think that the they should have a deal in place on Monday or at least a tentative, tentative agreement. Deal. And that'd be Ford and GM. Ford, and Ford, Ford's tentative is in place. And actually, it was quite interesting. I was reading that for the first time with a tentative agreement, workers are going back to work at Ford. Most of the time they wait until they finalize the deal really? to actually so go back, back to, to work. work. Yeah. See, and the reason I bring that up is because that's a positive. Mm-hmm. We got the holidays coming up, and now that they're not on strike, and I put this, I think, on the newsletter, how bad it would be go through the holidays with a strike, they're going to feel like, yes, let's enjoy the holidays. I think we'll have a good holiday season once again this year, which will help out the GDP. We won't have four point seven percent or four point nine percent again next quarter, but we could have two to three percent, yeah. which would be a positive. People still growing, and, and and that's what you want. So I see good things there. I do not understand the actor strike, though. I do not understand why that's not been settled yet. I, I know, especially with the the writer strike being, yep. you would have thought kind of like how the the UAW the auto workers when that happens generally once one happens they all right. kind of fall in place because there is a structure for those deals I, I I was definitely wrong on that I thought once the writers deal was in place I thought it was kind of going to be a framework for the actors right but it wasn't no the actors have something different going on there I, I forgot to open the phone lines I usually try to do that uh, before our last topic. Uh, you want to call in for that unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about, uh, give us a call at 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Uh, back to the subject, though. But yeah, I, I think we are going to have a good economy going forward. Not great. We always say that. we show When people come in for that free consultation, we show them, we talk about the economy, and, and actually that's your part. And what do you always say? What do I say? <laughs> you always say, it, it's not a oh, great it's economy. Not, it's not on fire. Right, right. I, I know what you're alluding to. <laughs> the economy's not on fire, but it's also not, because like, a lot of times people, and this is what I was meaning as well with recession. Recession yeah. doesn't have to be terrible. And the, the reason people do, the last major recession we had was 2008, 2009. People always, when they hear recession, they panic and think that's what it is. Right. I think, again, if we had a recession, it'd be very mild, which wouldn't be that bad. But again, I don't even know if we're going to have one. And this is the problem I think people have too, is they try and predict the economy. Yeah. Now, the the fault here is you're trying to predict the economy, and then you're trying to predict how the stock market's going to react to the economy. So you have to be right on a lot both of predictions. Yeah. There's a lot of predictions there because how wrong have people been on the economy, but then the stock market hasn't really necessarily reflected how strong the economy's been. So you may have been right on the economy, right. but you could have been wrong on the stock market. So there's there's so many different factors that you have to be right on when you're trying to predict things, which is why we don't play that game. No. Maybe we do have a recession next year, but again, I don't think it's going to be a bad one. And the thing is, when people try and predict what's going on in the economy, they lose in the long term. That's why we focus on businesses and understanding those companies and making sure that they can weather downturns because it's going to happen. I'm not going to be able to predict every single time a downturn occurs, and that's where, again, people lose out 
big time in the long run. And speaking of companies, uh, we're now in earnings season and our company's reporting earnings. And what we're seeing is that they're, they beat the estimates, beat revenue, uh, many times increase, increase in the guidance, um, all these positive things. And what happens? The stock drops. And it's because it's not looking at the businesses. It's looking at, oh, but interest rates could rise. Oh, we could have a recession. Oh, the war in the Middle East. I mean, that's what it's looking on, not the businesses. And, and again, going back to our first subject about investment vol- uh, investing volatility, um, you've got to ignore that. You've got to look at that. These companies are doing very well. And some are paying down debt. They're talking about how they can handle slowdowns going forward. That is a, what you got to be looking at. They're not saying, oh, my gosh, things are terrible. They're saying, no, we made more money than we told you are going to be making, and we think things look okay going forward. Yeah, and, and we still obviously have a lot of company reports left yep. to kind of get a good pulse on on the economy and, and kind of seeing where things are at. But, you know, it's, it's again, what are those businesses doing to, to get through this, this difficult time? Because I, I know – there, there's several companies that had obviously mentioned the situation with Israel and Hamas and, and saying how it impacts them. Of course it does. Yeah. But how are they going to make sure they can get through and weather this situation is the, the important thing that you need to take away from an investor. Not necessarily, oh, I need to sell because of Israel and Hamas. That's right. not a reason to sell because you don't know when it's going to end. You don't know what the resolution is going to be. You just need to understand how your company is getting through this situation and do they have the available resources to weather the situation. And many times in a bad economy, who gets hurt first are the banks. Yep. And the banks, uh, actually, they raised their guidance. They did very well. And they they're, they say, well, yeah, there's these things happening, but overall, they're raising their earnings going forward. But their uh, stocks went down. Yeah, stocks went down. And, and actually down probably, I think, from the... Because I think initially, and I'm just thinking about one, we won't tell you what company it is. I think they went up uh, now from that time frame. They're down, I believe, about 7 or 8% since they reported earnings. You know who I'm talking about, but don't yeah, say yeah. the name. <laughs> well, I, I just want to kind of point it out. I, I mean, it, it, it's, it is important, though. I, I think you're... I'm going to put it out there. I think you're talking about J.P. Morgan. Gosh, you told but, the name of a company but I, I portfolio. Think it, I, I think it's so important because the reason that I – mean, it's so funny when you look at the short term is it was down like 3 4% yesterday because Jamie Dimon is going to sell a million shares of stock next year. But how much does he have? Yeah, he has over a billion dollars <laughs> worth of J.P. Morgan stock. So he's selling, I think it was like 9% of his holdings. Right. And he hasn't sold stocks since he's been CEO in 2005. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it's, you know, estate planning reasons, tax planning reasons. And they said that there's no plans to sell more of it. Right. And again, so, oh, he really doesn't believe in the company. He just now owns $900 million <laughs> worth of J.P. Morgan stock. But that's, again, how silly the stock market can be on yeah. the short term. And that's a short-term craziness and is what you got to stay away, away from. If you want the newsletter, again, there's other topics in there. Uh, we do talk about uh, financial planning, annuity sales uh, continuing to grow. That's going to be in there. Uh, household net worth, the gas tax. Also, we talk about in there uh, home affordability, very important because of real estate. Uh, Apple TV's in there. So it's a great newsletter. Um, if you want to be part of the, gosh, I think almost 3,000 people get that newsletter. If you want to find out why, it is free. Go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Right in the middle of the page, you will see newsletter. Click on that. Sign up for it. Again, no cost for it. Every Friday at 5 o'clock, it'll be in your inbox in your emails. So Yeah, I get a lot of compliments on it. So people, people like it because it's short. 
sweet to the point, yep. but it's still very informative. Yeah, it's so. not a it's not a research report where you got to yeah. read ten pages of something. It's like, what did I just read? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, and people love it. They say, I, I just love that newsletter because it, it, and and it's not, you know. And I'm gonna I'm gonna hit some of the other brokers. A lot of these other brokers, they send out a newsletter that they pay for from some marketing companies to keep the name in from. It is not that. Our newsletter is written by myself and Chase. That is things that we see that are important to us and we share with people on the newsletter. So it's not uh, some marketing piece that we do. We do it because we like to inform people on investing. And we also did that as well because <clears throat> people like Harrison's, I know he's waiting there patiently now, yep. but uh, they enjoy his topics. So we also now have added a, the financial planning topic e- each week to, to kind of give people a little information on financial planning each week yep. too. And I, and I tell people, too, if you get it and you share it with somebody else, have them get it directly themselves. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do it for you. All right. Uh, phone number is here, 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. All phone lines are open. But right now, let's turn to uh, our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. Harrison, how you doing? I'm doing good, guys. How you doing? Good, good. I like the topic this morning. <clears throat> and I was thinking about uh, for my segment uh, next week on on TV on KUSI, talking about annuities because I had this feeling that because the, the the decline in the market, people are out there selling these annuities, and that's what you're talking about today. Annuity sales continue to grow. What is the reason for this? Yeah. So as market volatility continues, annuity <laughs> sales continue to climb. Last quarter, annuity sales hit 89.4 billion which is an 11% increase over the third quarter last year, according to LIMRA. Uh, sales reached a record in 2022, and it looks like that record could be beat again in 2023. And this is common during times of uncertainty in the market, as investors, retirees are looking for safer places to put their money, and a lot of advisors are happy to sell them. So it can feel more comfortable in the short term, but typically will lead to underperformance in the long term when you're looking at annuities. Uh, retirees have to remember that inflation and longevity risk, in addition to market risk, must be factored into the retirement income plan. Annuities can reduce portfolio volatility and for some provide peace of mind, but at the expense of performance. And even in retirement, Assets need to grow to outpace inflation and provide income, and the lower performance increases the risk of running out of money too soon. So for someone looking at buying an annuity, I would say at a minimum, you could look at T-bills because you'll probably make more money and it's going to be taxed less. Of course, I think investing in the market is going to be better than both of those long term, but um, I mean, for a while there, T-bills and savings accounts weren't paying anything, and now they are, so annuities haven't changed all that much. And so now, you know, the difference between an annuity and a T-bill, you know, it's I'd lean closer to the T-bill. And, you know, in this, I'm a a fee-only advisor and I have access to wholesale annuity and life insurance products. So if someone really wanted one, I could go out and find the best one and I don't get a commission on it. So the products are more efficient because of that. And I went out and looked at some of them just because I like to compare how they're illustrated versus how they actually perform. So I went out and found one, and it illustrated someone who's age 60 buying a $250,000 annuity, and they let it grow for seven years. During that time, it earned guaranteed 8.5% per year, bringing that two fifty dollars up to about $400,000 after the seven years. Then they annuitized it when they're 67, and they're able to withdraw 6.3% of that balance, which is about $25,000 a year, for the rest of their life, let's say till they're 80. 
So it grows at 8.5% guaranteed, and then whatever that amount is, they would draw 6.3% of that future balance for life. And the question is, what is the rate of return here? Is it the 8.5 or is it the 6.3? And the answer is neither. To calculate the rate of return, we have to look at the amount invested and the amount received over that period of time. And if we actually look at the math, 250 over that 20-year uh, period, the actual return is only 1.95%. <laughs> not many people would be happy with that over 20 years, and that's why it's not illustrated that way. Well, you get 8.5% growth, then you get 6.3% withdrawal. Those seem like relatively high numbers, especially if they're guaranteed, but you also have to factor in with these annuities, they stop paying when you die. So in many cases, you're not able to even get out the amount that you put in, um, and if you do, it takes you know, 10, 20, 30 years for those payments to actually get out. So this is an example of not only how annuities can be good or bad, but also how analyzing cash flow can help you make the right decisions, whether it's annuities, life insurance, social security, pensions, mortgages, all kinds of things can come down to cash flow. Um, and again, it, the, the truth of it is, is a whole lot different than what's illustrated there. And Harrison, you probably got a lot of people very excited, like, wow, yeah. I'm going to call right now, 8.5% yeah. annuity, I'm going to get that annuity. <laughs> Oh, you just spoiled the party. It's really one and a half percent. What, 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 you know, so, and this is what people don't understand. And I will say we have more uh, new clients coming in that say, I don't want an annuity. I mean, we don't sell them, but they, 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 they have one. They go, I, I, I don't like them. People are becoming more educated. And one thing you did not bring up because you're a fee based planner, if someone does need life insurance or something, there's no commissions involved, but you did not bring up what the commissions are for those guys out there selling those annuities. And on the annuity contracts, usually the average is 7%. I've seen as high as 14%. Of course, that salesperson is going to say this is far better than investing in saying your market go down or your uh, principal go down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you can hide behind that, oh, you get a guaranteed 8.5%. Where else can you get guaranteed 8.5%? But it's not really that because that's just a, a hypothetical number that's used to create the future income. And when you look at the initial investment relative to the future income that you get, that's where your return comes from. And again, it's not 8.5%. It's just not. And I, I think that's such a, a great topic that you had there, Harrison, because honestly, when you were talking, I was like, where are you going with this? Or, uh, you know, <laughs> like, I was like, are we going to start talking about? about? And it, it, it's so important because we always tell people, I mean, numbers can be manipulated to really push a certain agenda, essentially, at the end of the day. And, I mean, as you said, you point out 8.5%, I think you said 6.3%, whatever it was, above 6%. Those sound tremendous. Yes, yes. But again, yeah. what is the true return? I can guarantee you the average person going in, talking to an advisor or talking to an insurance salesman, does not even remotely question the way that you had presented that. I, I mean, it, it's just so important to understand the total return. That is not, I bet you even half of, not, not even half, 90% of life insurance salespeople, <laughs> annuity salespeople, don't look at it the way that you just presented. Oh, I'd say even higher. I'd say 95%. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, it, it, and frankly, it's a way I haven't really looked at it because I just know a lot of times annuities don't work out, but it's because, again, you lose that money after you annuitize it at the end of the day. And it, annuities are just kind of, I, I always say it's, funny business because the numbers really mean nothing at all because it, it's just how is this insurance can, company going to make money off of your annuity at the end of the day. And, and Harrison, you're talking about going forward. We've seen people come into our office 
They've had an annuity 20 years, and it finally doubled after 20 years, which is just a terrible return. So, but well, great information as always, Harrison. And, and this is why people love sitting down talking with you on financial planning. And they go, uh, those people say, wow, we love that topic on financial planning. He has, you know, things I didn't even know about. They, you know, they, they can get a free consultation with you though. And they don't know that. Know that. Yeah. So, uh, well, Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, we're going to promote that for you and you have a great weekend. We'll see you Monday. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. As I said, you can get a free consultation with Harrison because he does have a lot of information on different things that you would not even think about. Keep in mind, he's a fee-based planner. He's on a salary. His job is not to sell you product. It's to do the best financial plan for you based on real fundamentals and real returns, as he talked about there. So if you want a free consultation with Harrison, give him a call at the, the office, 858 546 Four three zero six. That's eight five eight five four six four three zero six. Or go to the website smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Send them an email. You can set up that way. But uh, you'll really enjoy it, and you will see. It. And if you have a financial planner now, I always encourage people go talk to Harrison. You will see a big difference in what he does compared to your quote-unquote financial planner now. Give it a test. Yeah, a couple of things on that topic, actually. We, we met with the gentleman and his wife this week, and he was saying, yeah, I, I get free financial planning with my advisor, but, you know, it's, you get what you pay for, essentially. Yep. They just send me articles, and kind of you got to figure out your own financial <laughs> It's like, oh, wow, that's great. So it, it, it is a true financial plan, and Harrison does a great job. The other thing I wanted to encourage people to do is, again, kind of on that topic, a lot of times you talk to people again about buying insurance as an investment or buying the annuities as an investment and you don't understand the true numbers, I highly encourage you to give Harrison a call because he'll look at, at what you have and he'll tell you why the returns are not what you think they are at the end of the day. And and, and there's been cases uh, over the years of insurance companies being uh, penalized for promoting their insurance as retirement plans. Um, and that is just uh, an insurance is not a retirement plan. It's to cover a death. Uh, annuities, as you just heard, uh, about one and a half percent based on that. You've got to look at the true numbers as we talk about. And the other thing, too, I have said, you and I manage the portfolio. We do all the investing. Harrison does financial planning. I still say it is impossible for one person to, to do a good job at both investing and both financial planning because they both take a lot of expense. It's kind of like you have building a house. I would say you have the carpenter. He's also going to do the plumbing. Eh, I don't think I like that. I don't think you should have the same financial planner and money manager, the same thing. Can't do both. So, All right, phone numbers here, 833-288-0973, 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Val. Val, you're on the Smart Investing Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes, I'd like a reading on a local San Diego company called Geos. Their symbol is Geos, rather, G-E-O-S. Okay, and do you hold that? Are you looking to buy it there, Val? I am looking to buy it. Okay, well, let's take a look at Geos, uh, Geos Space me, Technology. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I'm very low on battery power, and I'm <laughs> okay. away from, from any place where I can recharge, so I'll just take it. On the air, okay? Okay, that sounds good. We'll do that for you. Okay, Val. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, that company is in the oil and gas equipment services area. Only 0.8% uh, short float, so that's fine. Only 59% uh, institutional 
held, so I'm kind of surprised it's that low. That is kind of low. Unfortunately, and as I said, this is the oil and gas equipment services industry, which has been booming for the last year and a half or so. No P.E. ratio, which means they have no earnings over the last 12 months. The industry is at 17.3. Price of sales, 1.4 versus 1.2. That's a little bit high. Price of book value, 1.3 versus 14.9. Price of cash flow, 25.9 versus 9.5. That is high. And the peg ratio, nothing there. So I don't like, I'm not getting excited about the valuation ratio so far. Uh, Look at their earnings, nothing over the last year or the five years. Uh, sales over the last year were up 35.6%, double the industry at 16.8%. i am kind of getting the feeling that this company may be growing their sales, but at the expense of earnings. And you got to have earnings in a company. They do not pay a dividend. Looking at the balance sheet, got a current ratio of 4.7 versus 1.8. That is very, very high. Un- it shouldn't even be that high. That sounds like too much cash is what they're kind of sitting on. Debt to equity is good, though, 0.0, so no debt at all, versus 0.8 for the industry. Net profit margin, a negative 0.2% versus a positive 7.6. Return to equity, a negative 0.2% versus a positive 18.8. I'm not seeing anything good here that I like for Val Chase. I don't know if you got something good going forward. But uh, I, I'm not seeing anything exciting. What, what about you? Well, I'll tell you, the past performance has been very good. Uh, current price here for, again, uh, Geospace Technologies Corporation, uh, GEOS, it's $12.57. I say that because the 52-week range here is the low is $3.76 and the high is $14.59. Now, it sounds very exciting and enticing based off the past performance, but I will tell you, it is a very, very risky company. The market cap is just $165.8 million. million So it is a very small business. So you're going to have generally a lot more volatility there because, you know, incrementally the money flowing in and out can change quite drastically. Like if you're putting, I'm going to say a million dollars into, I'm just going to say Apple stock, it's not going to move the market. If you put a million dollars into geospace, it could move the market (laughs) much, much differently. Now, the other big problem with this company is since it's so small, there's no analysts. So you're on your own going forward as to what's going on with their earnings, cash flow, and projected sales. So can't get a target sell price because there's no estimated earnings per share. Yeah. And I say the stock, I just said a low is what, 376, a high 14.59. There's a lot of momentum behind this stock and as you talked about not much volume uh that can really get stuck in there and you say yeah i put all this money into it and then you try to get out you can move the market drive the market way down uh we just don't like these companies at these prices even you put in i'll say even ten fifteen thousand dollars in this company you could have problems so i I think this is going to be very volatile based off the price of oil there could be a, a huge downturn if oil prices even go down a little bit yeah and why is it not making money during this great time in oil so i i, I wish val didn't have a low battery because i would love to know what he saw in it because it just uh, we don't see any reason to be in this company at all I, I i think it's a very high risk company and it could go up yeah. i mean because of some craziness uh could on the be acquired side. It's so yeah. small, it could be a, a bolt-on acquisition yeah. for a major co- There's been a lot more consolidation, as we've seen with Chevron and Exxon now buying companies as well. Yep. So, I mean, maybe that's the hype pushing it up, but that's not a reason I would buy any stock. Yep, exactly. I did want to say real quick sure. is uh, I tried to catch your attention before we went to right. Val, but um, on Harrison's topic, uh, yes. his dad, Dave, who's actually a CPA in Arizona, he also pointed out that annuities are taxed at ordinary income, not capital gains, so it even makes the returns worse. <laughs> Wait a minute, what is that? 
Well, well, thank you for that. We appreciate uh, the father stepping in to help out uh, Harrison. <laughs> you know, that's where Harrison got his love for taxes, I assume. <laughs> I think so. All right. Uh, phone number is 833-288-0973. That's 833-288-0973. Let's go up to Long Beach and speak with David. David, you're on the Smart Investor Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you? Hi, guys. Uh, before we do my talk, I just want to give a shout-out to a late San Diego probably an icon down there, uh, George Chamberlain. I switched my investing style after listening to him bringing on a guy named Chuck Carlson every year on in dividend increases, the dividend aristocrats. This goes back 20-something years, and it's worked out very well for me over those 20 years, and I used to be a mutual fund buyer prior to that. So anyway, just you know, the late George, uh, who probably competed with you guys on the radio, but uh, – that that was his pretty much his his uh, main push. And, and you so, know, it's funny. We we actually didn't really. Well, I guess we didn't compete on the radio, but I actually wrote uh, an article every week uh, for I think about fifteen years for the San Diego Daily Transcript, and he was the editor of that. So we did some things together. So he was uh, very into trying to help people out uh, and not have people buy the craziness and so forth. So it's uh, he, he did try to do a lot. I think he did a lot for the investment uh, arena over the years. Good. I'm, I'm glad we're on the same side on that. Anyway, my stock for today, and this is kind of throwing, it's sort of like what, what's happening with both Exxon and Chevron. Uh, J.D. Smucker, uh, J.M. Smucker, uh, S.J.M., they, right after buying host, bringing back the hostess Twinkies, mm-hmm. which would be, you know, sound very good, the thing has been in a, a, a more of a downtrend, but that whole sector, it, that which is mainly what I own, the food, the consumer staples, they've been for the first time in like 20 years, they've been getting hit harder than you know all the other big names on the thing. So Smucker is down. They they made that purchase, and then they've been going straight down. And the question is, have we hit bottom yet? Okay. Well, let's take a look. And, and I did see that deal. And this is a company that we do kind of like because it's your basic company. It's not very exciting. You're talking jams, jellies, you know, peanut butter. I was a little surprised that they, they acquired Hostess. Um, I'd have to look a little closer at the deal, but it, it could have been a poor time, obviously. Uh, I want to look closer at that because yeah. that could have been a major acquisition. We know Hostess filed bankruptcy in the past. and. Yeah. Uh, hopefully they didn't buy a bad company with lots of debt that hurt their balance sheet more. Yeah, and, and, and we and, won't find out until the deal goes through how it impacts the balance sheet. And and I've I, I saw this research. There's still a lot of people eating Twinkies. <laughs> I'm just surprised by. Isn't it. it a doomsday food? Doesn't don't Twinkies like never expire or something? Well, <laughs> yeah, and they had this long, long shelf life. Yeah. I think it was like I want to say like six years or something crazy that lasts forever. They have shortened that to make the taste better. Huh. But there's still a lot of people out there. And when I was a boy, we get Twinkies. Like, wow, that's a favorite thing. There's still people eating Twinkies. So maybe Smucker was smarter than this and. Then, then we see because I depends how much day. they paid for it. Yeah, that that, that is true. So l- let's say look look at uh, uh, SJM as a symbol, uh, and that is a JM Smucker. Uh, very interesting uh, place they have. I think it's back in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, I'm also surprised too. A little bit higher on the short side, five point six percent institutional ownership, eighty three point five. Uh, no PE ratio versus twenty point eight. That surprises me. Price of sales one point four versus one point two. Price of book value, 1.6 versus 2.4. Price of cash flow is good. 
8.2 versus 13. And the peg ratio is very good, 1.7 versus 41.3. And remember, the lower the peg ratio, the better. Now, here again, I'm wondering if there's a problem with our system here because I see no earnings for the one year and the three and the five year. So I'm kind of concerned maybe there's an issue with the software package that we have. Uh, we do see on the sales over the last one year up 5.6%, uh, five year up 2.4%. Five year estimated growth from the analyst is 6.8%, pretty good, but in the industry is 6.2%. You get a nice dividend here, 3.8%. And looking at, uh, and they have grown that dividend uh, for the last 10 years here. And then looking at the balance sheet, current ratio 1.3, same as the industry. Debt to equity 0.6 versus 1.1. And I'm not sure if that includes the new deal on Hostess. Do they have to raise debt on that? I don't think it will because the deal was announced in September. That There's no way they got that yeah. closed by the and end of the are, quarter. Yeah, and this was July 31st. So, so you'd have to look to see what difference that made on the debt because that could have raised their debt, debt substantially. I don't know if it was cap, you know, if they had stock, what they did, but look at that before you do move forward on that. High amount of intangible, 65.3% versus 36.2. Net profit margin, a negative 0.2%. Return equity, a negative 0.2%. So I'm, I'm not getting too excited here, but uh, let's see what things look like going forward. Yeah, so current price here for, again, the JM Smucker Company, SJM. Well, it's $112.75, uh, 52-week range. I mean, wow, yeah, as, as you said there, uh, the low $110.49, so right near that, and the high is $163.07. I see year-to-date the stock's down close to 30%, which is uh, quite a surprise for a consumer staple business, especially during difficult times. Now, going forward, I go out to April 2025, I do see estimated earnings per share of $10.20. One cents gives a target sell price of $169.49. So it's got a forward PE multiple of around 11, which it would put it in the buy category for us. I, I, I like these businesses right now. I just think we talked about it a couple weeks ago with this weight loss drug yeah. that it's just selling everything. And it's like, I think that people, even if they're on a weight loss drug, maybe they won't be as hungry, but they still might want a Twinkie. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they might stop taking the drug because they want to eat more Twinkies. So I, I think that drug issue has become like a, a short-term fad. fad. And I think we'll see that change. And yeah, and it's, and it's not, you can't just buy that. You have to have diabetes or something else. So it's not really... It, it, it's talked a lot about, but it's it's not really out there to I mean, go just buy it off the shelf. Uh, back to the earnings on uh, Smuckers here. Um, I, I did see that they are up from uh, 10, 11, so they are increasing over the last 90 days. And also, too, the mean of the analysts is 11 of them still pretty close, $9.50 uh, and 10.56, so a tight range of 11 analysts. I mean, I like this company, but I would not buy it now. I want to see what it kind of plays out. I'd have to understand more what the debt was on that deal. So I will say, David, worth looking into. And this is what we like about a good long-term hold company. This one you, you'd be buying for three to five years. And, and, well, maybe you could buy it now if you looked at the deal. I mean, personally, right. we wouldn't because we didn't have time to look at the deal. But I'm just looking at a business that we actually hold in our portfolio. They ended up buying another company. And at first, we're like, oh, my gosh, why did they yeah. do that? But then we looked at it, and they got it for, like, eight times earnings. It's yeah. like, Wow. Well, right. that's quite a steal. I mean, if they were able to get Hostess at a fair value, generally when acquisitions happen, the stock market kind of overreacts to the downside. Right. But if it way, was a good acquisition, it could be good. There's a nostalgia thing on this that goes back to in the 50s to my high school days, homeroom in the morning, the freight train going through Beverly Hills <laughs> to pick up or bring the flour in and take the Hostess Twinkies out from the old interstate bakeries 
went by every morning in the 50s and uh during during the Korean War it was it was over overloaded so it was a different company but uh Twinkies has been around a long time and and again it kept that freight train in Beverly Hills probably longer than anybody expected to have a freight railroad running through the center of town Right. And, and, and David, I will say it's worth looking into and, and, and let people know before we invest in a company, it's 10, 15, 20 hours of research. You've got to spend that time on this because this could be a great buy, but you want to understand what's going on. So worth the research. I would not just run out and buy it, but uh, do more research on it. And I will tell you, there's a great story. I don't have time to go on the air about uh, Smucker. Uh, their history is just phenomenal. Uh, them and actually hostess as well. So it, it's fun reading. All righty. All right, thanks. Bye-bye. Okay, David, thanks for calling. Bye-bye. Yeah, and I'm trying to think. Uh, they have peanut butter, don't they, Smucker? Do you know? Yeah. <clears throat> what, what is their peanut butter? I think it, uh, I don't know. I'm thinking of Jiffy. Jiffy, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Maybe they, I'm, I'd assume they have peanut butter. They have to own one of those companies. Does anybody in this room know if, no, nobody knows. <laughs> I'd have a caller call in, but I got about two minutes, uh, two minutes left. But I, I, I know they have peanut butter, and they got the jams. I just can't think because there's, there's Jiffy. Skippy, oh, that's right. I, maybe they don't. Maybe J, uh, Jiffy's not one of my thing of Jiffy Loop. <laughs> <laughs> not Jiffy Loop. That's not J- it. I think there's a Jiffy peanut butter. Um, so, but and and you know maybe they don't have peanut butter. Maybe they just oh have they jams. own Jiff. Okay, ah, that's what it was. Not Jiffy. Jiff. 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 Uh, Jiffy Loop. Yeah. So, um, what is this? Fr- Frank, just give me a note. Uh, Goober. What is Goober? <laughs> Frank, gotta come on at her. Goober, it's the uh, the peanut butter and jelly in one jar. Oh, really? Yeah, that's oh. yeah, that's one of theirs. Also, I, I have never had Goober before. Have you I had have Goober? I'm allergic to peanut butter. No, I haven't no. had Goober. Well, as a kid, I never gave a Goober, so I, I Goober sounds like you know, it doesn't sound very good. I mean, do people like Goober? But yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to eat a Goober. And so it looks like they, they have consumer foods, they have coffee, they have pet foods and snacks, too. So, I mean, it, it's like a, a lot of the other, um, you know, consumer staple business is right. out there. That they have a, a bunch of other names that, that you recognize but you wouldn't know or potentially owned by right. James Smucker. I, and I like this type of company. It's a good, solid company. And, again, it was down, what, 27? It's a 30% for year to date. Yeah, year to date down 30%. But this is not a company that you sell uh, unless unless you see problems. But, I mean, it's one that you can weather the storm with, um, but you got to do the research. And I, 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 I like this business, but I just don't like the time now. And I don't know enough about it to, to say more on it, but I like this type of business. So. Yeah, I, I think it, it's especially during tough times like this. It, it, and when it's out of favor, that's when you generally want to get right. into businesses like this. And if they sell Goober, I don't know if I'd want to buy it or not, though. I don't like Goober. They have the Uncrustables. <laughs> I, I know one of my— Uncrustables? What is that? That's a little peanut butter and jelly sandwiches that there's ah. no crust around. It's yeah, one of my good friends, I remember. They're generally for kids, but uh, he loved, loves the Uncrustables. Right. And there was another thing. To, ah, closing bell. I'm talking about Fluffernado. was another one. But. <laughs> Thank you for the listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for information's purpose only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss some more detail, your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 
888-546-4306. And be sure to visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there, investment tips. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. So amusing to think.